Today on the Potential Psychology Podcast. Our moods are contagious to other people. And so when we talk about sort of being um, optimistic or being in a, a lighter mood and being open and being able to kind of bounce through things, that has an effect to others. So you think about families or you think about workplaces and we all have a responsibility to hold ourselves accountable as much as we can for doing the things that we know will lift us and paying attention to those things. So I do like the idea that we spend some time noticing the things that give us those little lifts, the ones that are happening through our day that we actually take time to notice, to savor, to stretch. So to savor them means to go, oh, that was lovely. Taking a moment to notice that it was enjoyable and then also stretching it out by sharing it with other people. Welcome to the Potential Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, psychologist Ellen Jackson, and this is the show in which we explore what it is to be human and how we as humans can fulfill our potential. We're revisiting our How to Thrive series, co-hosted with positive psychotherapist Marie McLeod to acknowledge Mental Health Month and to delve a little deeper into the beacon model that Marie uses with participants in the documentary How to Thrive. For more details of the doco, check out our show notes. Great to have you here. With me is Marie McLeod, my co-host for this season of How to Thrive. Hi, Marie. Hey, Ellen. How are things with you? Oh, good, good. Yeah, I have to say it is a whole lot busier now that we're out of lockdown and I, you know, it's like careful what you wish for, right? Because when you're in lockdown, you're wishing for all those things to be back and now that they're back, you're like, oh, my God. (laughs) That whole concept I think someone mentioned of social fitness you know, it's just, yeah, it, it all we're has, out of practice. Mm, we're out of practice and out of practice with all of the scheduling of the kids' activities and here and there and fitting it mm. in. I've mm. just found that incredibly challenging in this past mm. week. And it's coming with a busy time of year as it well, is. isn't it? So it's coinciding with a whole lot of end of year type mm-hmm. stuff, you know, exams, yes. end of year functions, Christmas parties are starting up, things yeah. are either winding down, but there's a sort of a celebration attached to that or kicking off and I don't think we're alone perhaps in looking forward to maybe a Christmas holiday break. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think that's right. And so just very briefly, if you are just joining us for the first time, we are doing the How to Thrive series of eight covering Beacon, a framework for thriving. And uh, Beacon stands for belonging, engagement, accountability, compassion, optimism which we're doing today and nurture and so each week we'll give you a little bit of the science around that topic we'll talk a little bit how we apply those in our own lives and we will set a quest for you to go away and do in the week that we will do with you and debrief the next week so that brings us to (laughs) Alan our checking in on how we went with self-compassion which both you and I admitted was a bit of a work in progress for us still, despite the fact that we have both known about this professionally for some time. So I was very glad we had the conversation because there were a number of moments this week where I needed to call upon self-compassion. This is like coming coming to confession or something <laughs> each week. <laughs> this um, is your vulnerability, Marie. It is the vulnerability. And I do need to practice what I preach around that because I do think it's ever so important that we authentically share the uh, our lives, warts and all. So, yeah, so this week 
for me, there seem to have been a lot of parenting moments. And look, I, I guess for me, there's been a long time story of being not good enough as a parent. So in full disclosure, you know, I had three kids in two years, I have twins and another one. They've all got ADHD. One's got autism. One's got dyslexia. One's in the process of getting diagnosed with dyspraxia. It's all very sort of uh, full on. But, you know, before I knew that, it was just all chaos and I thought it was my fault. And so there's a lot of triggers around it. And I seem to have a very fantastic mum and sister that make it look like it's, you know, a walk in the park. And so I feel like, and it's not that they make me feel that way or that anyone no. else, it's just me. Yeah. But so often I end up feeling like I come up short when it comes to parenting. And I don't think it's necessarily true. My kids are teenagers now and they just, you know, some of them, you know, struggle academically and things like that, but they're beautiful human beings. But this week I was cranky pants and I was, you know, the twins are doing exams and I just felt like I wasn't there for my daughter and getting upset. And then I got distracted and left my son at basketball. <laughs> it was late to pick him up and he's standing outside in the cold. I, this, they're all going in different directions, Ellen. And, you know, with my ADHD brain and it all coming back and the, all the scheduling and I just got a bit confused and a bit distracted and then he's calling me and saying, Mum, where are you? So, yes, lots of triggers for me around juggling my own life and accomplishment with my family and then needing to sort of notice in myself that that makes me feel really sad and bad and then just going do you know what it's something that happens there are many other good things that I am doing as a parent and trying to do the practice that we spoke about last week by just noticing okay so you're feeling in pain right now noticing that I feel really really bad and that my stories are coming in going oh yeah, great. Doing a good job here, Marie, forgetting them on the side of the road or whatever. And and then just going, do you know what? I, you know, I've talked with other friends and I know that they stuff up sometimes too as a parent. And so doing that perfectly imperfect piece is step two. And then just, you know, take me a moment to go, you know what, you're not perfect, but you're doing the best you can with what you got. And just taking a moment to soothe myself and say, you know you're enough, you'll keep trying, you'll keep showing up and and also just being honest with my kids about the mistakes that I make. So that's mm. where I got to with it. <laughs> um, and it's so interesting, Marie, because as you were telling me and anybody who's watching the video might be able to see my facial reactions if you're listening, obviously you can't. But as you were saying that, you know, of course, I kept wanting to jump in with, oh, don't be so, oh, no, of course we all do that. Oh, of course we all mess that up. And yes, I've done that before. And I know it, it feels terrible in the moment, but your kids always forgive you if you're honest with them. And, yeah. and so for me, it was a sense of having that conversation. We mentioned last time that, you know, idea of, of one of the elements of self-compassion being learning to speak to yourself as you would a friend. Mm. And so whilst you had this inner monologue that was saying, oh my God, you've messed this up and you're no good and this, you know, as the friend, I was on the other side going, my goodness, we've all been there. We've all done that. I know you kids would understand. It is really hard. I mean, even once you articulated that whole combination of, you know, three kids of a similar age, literally going in, in different directions, your own tendency to get absorbed in what you're doing, that hyper-focus, which means forgetting, you know, yeah. what's going on in the moment. 
that just sounds impossible to me to manage. I mean, how would anybody not mess that up on occasion? Oh, it's so funny, isn't it? Because you're you're not judging me, but I'm judging myself so hard. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. Um, yeah. Whereas I feel I have compassion because I feel like I've been that we've all been there. You know, it, it sounds like an impossible thing to try to juggle. And with all the balls in the air, one is going to fall eventually, if not regularly. Yeah, I don't know why we do that. We just really think, you know, as you know, I've been filmed in a documentary recently and the other thing that happened was I got to see the sort of rough cut of that and, oh, my God, what a vulnerability hangover after that and looking at it and then you, you, you're absolutely <laughs> Seeing yourself looking at live yourself. In action. Oh, why did I wear that? Why did I say that? Why, why have they filmed that bit? And there's little bits in there with my kids and, that is just completely another moment of going, do you know what? You just have to have compassion for yourself that, and, and mm. hope, as you have done so beautifully, that other people are going to look at it and go, oh, gosh, well, you know, that happens to me or that could happen to me. And then you feel like it's okay. Why do we need the other person to say that? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's our work in progress, isn't it? We do judge ourselves harshly. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did you go? What went on in your week that might require self-compassion? Oh, look, mine feels like nothing in comparison to that. But I think, and again, it's about, you know, moments of vulnerability, opening ourselves up in terms of our own challenges. One of my challenges for this week has been juggling all the things and mm. the associated guilt that comes when you are prioritising one thing over another thing. So for me, it's work. You know, I, I have potential psychology as my business, but I also work three days a week for Committee for Ballarat and run their leadership program. And I have time in, and I have the world's most supportive boss, him, and he's, he's fantastic. So again, it's not about any conversation I have with him. It's only about the conversations I'm having with myself, <laughs> which says, because I've got some time owing, which I really need to put into some work for potential psychology this week or had to this, this week gone and then also feeling guilty because I know my little team are working really hard on another project in a committee and I feel like I ought to be there as well and I just know that I can't do both mm. and I need to make a decision and prioritise one over the other and so that has been kind of the the struggle this week has been the guilt with feeling like you have to be all things to all people. I want to do all of it and I can't, mm. yes. So what would your best friend say with this dilemma? Well, look, I think about if if I actually have this conversation with my boss, which occasionally I do, and I know he says, don't be silly, we'll all be fine, this will get done. You prioritise what you need to get done in the other space so that it all feels a bit more manageable. So I know it's entirely a conversation I'm having in my own head. <laughs> And then it's having that self-compassion around I cannot be in all places at once. And whilst there's a little part that says, I think maybe you've taken on a bit too much, mm. <laughs> which again is an ongoing conversation, it's very much, I think it's the mindfulness of how do I feel in this moment? Am I feeling completely overwhelmed? Am I feeling guilt? If I'm feeling guilt, what can I do about that? And that is just exercise that self-compassion and say to myself, you know what, this is just what it is in this moment and you'll work your way through it because you always do and try to put myself in those other people. You know, if I went to any of my colleagues, they'd say, don't be ridiculous, we're fine, we're managing, it's all yes. good. So having a whole lot of those conversations with yourself to try and find a little bit of ease and peace 
with it. So that's that's been my ongoing challenge. Sounds good because we can only do what we can do. You know, that's the thing. We can yeah. only do and whatever is left undone, we'll be able to pick yeah. up again. But, you know, we do seem to think that we are superhuman sometimes <laughs> and we're just not, you know. And I think too there's that element of feeling like you're failing if you're not managing to stay on top of it all at the same time and living up to your own expectations mm-hmm. in each of these different spaces that somehow you're, you're failing. So, again, having that conversation, that common humanity of saying, my God, nobody else I don't think would be able to do this any better than I'm trying to do it. No, that's right. <laughs> and and that's okay. So, wow, what a week. What a week indeed. What a week. And so it might be good that this week we are talking about optimism. I think that's a lovely thing to talk about. I have lots of questions about optimism. Oh, exciting. Well, <laughs> see, this is where we get to fly off the seat of our pants because Ellen we is do. Uh, using her strength of curiosity and throwing things I am, things at absolutely. Oh, I, I am. So, well, Tell us, Marie, from your perspective, from the Beacon Framework, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about optimism and, and how it plays into thriving? So um, optimism has quite a lot of things underneath it. One of them that we're going to look at today is particularly around the way that emotions impact our brains and therefore our mood, our energy and our motivation. And so we know that positive emotions have a particular effect on our brains, as do the sort of more heart-straining, negative or challenging emotions. And so within optimism, we might also think about hope and hope theory. Uh, we're not going to go there today. That's more of a sort of theme that runs all the way through through Beacon is that we know how important it is to kind of be pulled forward by hope. But in this instance, we're looking at the, the emotional experiences that we have and how we can learn to better navigate negativity more resiliently, particularly today looking at the sort of the power of positive emotions and Dr. Barbara Fredrickson's work or Professor Barbara Fredrickson's work in this space. So I'm really sort of interested to unpack that this has been one of those, another one of those areas for me that was quite mind-blowing and sort of game-changing when I discovered positive psychology in the sense that it gives us more control than we thought we had over our mood. Mm. And I like that. And that's what I was going to ask you about because I think for many of us, when we say optimism, Mm. we think about this dichotomy of optimism and pessimism. We have an assumption, and to some extent it's a valid assumption, so me putting my kind of personality psychologist hat on my individual difference interests some of us are more wired for optimism than others there is a a degree of trait in here that is not entirely fixed but it's certainly there's a a, a wiring that leads us to the 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 glass half full person or the glass half empty person and I think in our everyday language and our everyday conversation, that's how we think of optimism. It is something that, you know, you're either an optimistic person or you're a pessimistic person and that is your lot in life. But, of course, that's not what we're talking about here, is it, that there's a degree of training and opportunity for development and change Mm. that can take place that is beneficial to us. Yes, I mean, and it is absolutely related that there is... uh people who are more optimistic and pessimistic. And in fact, Professor Martin Seligman, who founded Positive Psychology, is a self, 
self-professed pessimist mm-hmm. um, and positive psychology came about because his little daughter called him out on the fact that he was a grump and, you know, told him that he could kind of, you know, change around the way he thought about things. And so I think it is important to point out that we can learn to become more optimistic and that that is very much worthwhile given that optimists live longer than pessimists and have better health. And so I guess, you know, that notion, is it trait or is it state, you know, where it is a trait, we know now that through neuroplasticity, we can change our genetic predisposition to be a certain way. So even if you are born of pessimistic parents or have that pessimistic tendencies, you can still kind of change that and rewire it. Mm. A little bit like we spoke about in our very first episode around we talked about the negativity bias that we have mm. and how, you know, we might have a bias towards sort of focusing on issues, risks and problems. And we can we can rewire our brain to focus on what's working well more of the time. So today we're going to look at a particular strategy from Professor Bud Fredrickson, which is really understanding that our brains are hardwired to perform better when they feel positive. Mm-hmm. So not even neutral, and not negative, but positive. So that means that um, sometimes I I like to think about this um, a little bit like thinking about a flower. I like metaphors. Um, So if we think about a flower that closes up overnight and then as the sun shines on it the next day, it opens out and it broadens and it becomes this beautiful flower until the sun goes down and then it closes up again. So our brain responds similarly to the experience of positive emotions. So when we feel a moment of awe, hope, pride, love, serenity, gratitude, inspiration, those are positive emotions. When we feel those things, we actually open up. And quite literally, Alan, so our peripheral vision when we are in a positive state like that expands from seeing 15% in a neutral state to 75% when we're in that open state. Now, that is quite a big difference. So we know that the neurological impact of experiencing in a heartfelt way a positive emotion, so if you give me a compliment that makes me feel proud, then the opening up happens. So she calls this, um, Barbara Fredrickson calls this the broaden and build. So in the moment we broaden, our peripheral vision expands, our brain then, there are more neural pathways that are happening and we are more able to problem solve, we're more able to kind of think clearly, we're more able to kind of see past differences that we might have with other people. And we're more able to rebound and bounce through adversity and difficulty. So you can imagine that if we are in this state more often and we are going around through our days and work and home and and the lives that we navigate, if we're doing that in a more open state, where we can problem solve and we've got perspective and we can see more and we're looking past difficulties and bouncing through difficult, we are actually building our resources, our resilience and our relationships. And that is the build part of this that happens over time. So this was very profound for me to discover that positive emotions have such a enormously far-reaching impact 
on us neurologically. And the next step for me then was being able to understand that we could be more intentional about putting ourselves in situations and saying yes to things that are more likely to lead us to a heartfelt positive emotion. That's pretty cool, I think. Oh, look, it's it's absolutely amazing, really. And I think it's just because, <laughs> and what the funny thing, as you were explaining that, Maria, I was thinking was that because of this natural te- negativity bias that we have, we don't pay good attention to the positive emotions, even that we experience over the course of every day. It's almost like we just gloss over those mm. and they're fleeting and we might enjoy them in the moment, but we don't really think about it. We're not mindful about it. We don't savour it. And we certainly don't appreciate what it's doing for mm-hmm. us. Instead, we get drawn into those negative moments, those moments of conflict, those moments of disappointment, those moments of frustration. And then we sit and we ruminate, you know, it's like we kind of, you know, we glory in all of that in this kind of perverse way and yet all it does is is really the opposite isn't it 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 sinks us further into that it it closes off our cognitive opportunities it limits us Mm -hmm. it just reinforces all of those unpleasant feelings and we do that so naturally and yet we've got the opportunity to do this in a positive way if we start to revel and glory in the positive moments you know all of those things that you were talking about all of the ways in which that Mm. helps us behaviorally and cognitively and emotionally and in terms of our connection with others we just cast that to the side we don't even notice it we just walk on by that's right so what you're saying is is we've got a real opportunity an amazing opportunity to just flip this around a little bit and pay more attention to these positive things and put ourselves in those circumstances where we might get more opportunity to do that and then so many good things can come from that yes so you're absolutely right these are little fleeting micro moments and sometimes they're so fast that we don't even slow down enough to notice them and when we do that we are actually walking past an opportunity to lift our mood and so I think that we it's just for me it's been very useful to know and understand that so we tend to, in this day and age, just be moving so fast to become very transactional. And what you're talking about is kind of noticing. We talked about noticing with compassion, but we need to notice mm. these little things as well, mm. that someone expressed gratitude or that there was a little moment of laughter or pride or there's a beautiful sunset or trees outside my window or the sun on my face. These don't have to be super amazing, profound things. They mm. are just these little lifts that have that effect on us. And so, again, Fredrickson talks about these as the tiny engines that drive our well-being. And so they're there for the taking, right, in terms of noticing ones that happen through our day. And then there is the opportunity to add more. And so one of the things that is also interesting here is that now there is some sort of dispute about this, but there there was at one point an idea that we needed a, a ratio of three positive emotions to one negative emotion to be thriving. Now, whilst there might not be an exact number, because we're all different, right? But we know that to feel good and function well, we want our ratio of positive emotions to be higher than negative emotions. And you'll notice this yourself, Alan, that, you know, there are those days that just more shitty stuff happens than in other days. And those are the days that you just, 
you leak energy, you can't problem solve, you can't see past stuff, you just feel in a bit of a funk. And so the power of knowing that if you could pull on and and lean into some positive emotions and turn that around, because that's the other thing, right, as we spoke about the fact that this broadening in the moment and this building over time, but Fredrickson's research also says that we can reverse, you know, stress by a positive emotion and we can reverse that kind of funk that we can get into. So that means that if we can begin to notice the things that give us a lift, give us a jolt of joy, as I call it, then we can be intentional about actually inserting those in our day and, mm. and really taking control over our moods. And that reminds, it's just as you were saying that, it sort of links back to our conversation last week about self-compassion, that sometimes when we are in those, having those days and it's just gloomy and it's hard and it's annoying and it's frustrating and we can know perhaps that we should enact a bit of self-care, we should do something nice for ourselves to make ourselves feel better. But unless we have that self-compassion, to allow ourselves to do that. So this is possibly building a bit of the argument mm-hmm. for self-compassion here to say you've actually got the opportunity and if and if it's not for you, then for the people around you, you know, I know that if I'm having one of those days and the kids come home from school, I don't want to be the grouchy mum. I don't want to be the, you know. So can I do something that gives me a jolt of joy? Yes. You know, and you'll find your own language about that. So for me it's about, I call it decompressing. Yes. And so, you know, often I use my... We've spoken a lot about my walking. I'm in the midst of all this walking at the moment, but it is very much one of my self-care habits because if I really feel like I need it on those sorts of days, I take the dog and we're very fortunate to have bushland around us because I know the bush, even I went for a walk yesterday and as soon as I step beyond the suburban street into this bushland, the smell of the gum trees Mm. is one of those sort of awe moments, you know, looking up and seeing the light through the trees, Mm. through that exposure to nature, which you know is beneficial to us anyway from a mental health point of view. But for me personally, that moment of awe Mm -hmm. that comes from that is a positive emotion. So we often, you you listed off all those wonderful positive emotions before, but I think often we get stuck in happiness, love, you know, we have a a very small subset, but positive emotions like awe, like gratitude, like pride, Mm. serenity, satisfaction, Mm. all of these are positive emotions Mm -hmm. as well. And to be able to kind of frame it up in your mind to say, right, I'm having one of these days, I need to do something, not just for me, but probably for the benefit of everyone around me, but also to help me too. If I've still got to get stuff done and I know that I'm really starting to drag my heels because of the mood I'm in, you know, this can be the little thing that I do for half an hour that gets me back on track or at least, you know, some attempts to do that. So whether that's having the cup of coffee in the sunshine or going for the walk or watching. I prescribe Netflix comedy quite often yes, to coaching yes, clients. Humour yeah. is a wonderful reframer yes. when we're in those sorts of moods. So, you know, yeah. watch something funny. Jimmy Ree's video on Meanwhile in Australia. Have you seen I haven't, those? No. Oh, you haven't. Goodness, I'll have to send them to you. I know a lot of our listeners will have. So, you know, just the comedy and, and perspective over what's been happening during the pandemic and the states fighting each other. And they are hysterical. I find them hysterical anyway. You know, a two-minute video 
on YouTube like that, which can just... Just shift your mood. So it doesn't have to be a long thing. Absolutely. That's the important thing is that, and and we're all different. Because, you know, I don't know, to be honest, I'm not sure that humour always works as well for me. And so it is figuring out what is it that works for us. Mm. And so for you watching, you know, funny videos and being in nature and maybe some of those quieter positive emotions. Mm. You know, see mm. how I said jolt of joy because of all my zestiness yes. <laughs> and you said actually, you know, I call it decompressing. I'm decompressing and calm. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. one yeah. is a kind of pop zesty kind of way of getting it and yours is a more serene, I need to kind of mm. slow down and, and unplug mm. kind of thing. And so I think that's a really beautiful way of noticing that, what will create and elicit a positive emotion for me might be very different for you, but it's equally that, important that we find what it is yeah. and that we begin to have a toolkit of those things at the ready because mm. what we know is that when we need it, when we've gotten into that funk, we're in a closed state and we can't think of what mm. those things mm. might be. So it has to be something that comes quickly and easily and almost automatically without yes. having to kind of think too hard about it. That's right. And that will take time. And I, I think this is a point that I really, I do want to labour a little bit for the benefit of our listeners. And that is that so much of this stuff is very individual. We talk about in coaching in particular, working from first principles, because I think a lot of the messaging we get, whether it's from the media, social media, those around us, is that there are prescriptions for these sorts of things, that you follow this prescription, you know, that if you get up and the one that drives me bonkers because I'm not a morning person is that, you know, to have a great day, you need to get up and do all the important things first thing in the morning, you know, get up at five o'clock and I'm just like, oh, I try it and I'm tired and I'm grumpy and I'm just an unpleasant person to be around. It doesn't match my chronobiology. But I think that's that's it is that this is about a toolkit and it's about really understanding yourself and what works for you. So down to those things like language, there's no one-size-fits-all yeah. prescription for thriving. What we're trying to give you is a great big toolkit That's and all right. the ideas and to understand the principles so that then you can build up your own toolkit and have those things at the ready when you need them as a unique yeah. individual because what works for me isn't what works for yeah. you, Marie, and it's not going to be what works for our listeners either necessarily. And that's very important as well because if I try what you try and it doesn't work, then I feel like a dud you know. Yeah. Or this stuff's ridiculous. It doesn't work. (laughs) Yes. But it's not about that. It's about Mm. that little thing didn't work for me, but what will. So if we understand the end game, the end game is I want to have a heartfelt experience of positive emotion. I want to feel that little lift inside of me. What gives it to me? Doesn't have to be Mm. the same, but I just need to find those things. So, you know, for my daughter going to the dog park and being around all the dogs and the dog owners, like she (laughs) just absolutely is in heaven there. Whereas I'm kind of like, you know, oh, they're all slippery and hairy and, you know, (laughs) I'm getting so much better. But, you know, I haven't previously been a dog person so that's and it's funny because I go to the dog park and (laughs) I didn't grow up a dog person but I'm probably an animal person bit like your daughter maybe and I often said to other people at the dog park as we just stand around we don't even talk just stand there watching the dogs play and it's like god it's the best therapy isn't it just watching dogs play (laughs) simple things oh gosh so um and and she took the lamb the other day to the dog park and that was a bit of a oh that would have been interesting so um (laughs) yeah and they have little um dog birthday cake there's a whole little community happening down there so that's you know that's her her happy place and so 
it is about sort of understanding that we're all, that we're all right differently and we have to kind of find the best fit. And I, you know, I think as well, your comment before about if you won't do it for yourself, then do it for others, because we are contagious. Our moods are contagious to other people. And so when we talk about sort of being um, optimistic or being in a, a lighter mood and being open and being able to kind of bounce through things that has an effect to others. So you think about families or you think about workplaces, and we all have a responsibility to hold ourselves accountable as much as we can for doing the things that we know will lift us and paying attention to those things. So I do like the idea that we spend some time noticing the things that give us those little lifts, the ones that are happening through our day that we actually take time to notice, to savour, to stretch. So to savour them means to go, oh, that was lovely. That was lovely that you gave me that compliment or that was lovely that my husband bought me that cup of coffee or that was lovely taking that walk into the bushland or taking a moment just to pause and having a cup of tea and looking at the you know, latest magazine or whatever it might be or having a call with my mum in New Zealand and catching up. So taking a moment to notice that it was enjoyable and then also stretching it out by sharing it with other people. So being able to, you know, share with, your family or your colleagues or whatever's the little thing that happens. So they get a bit of it and you get to relive it and kind of stretch it out. Mm. So there's that, the sort of the noticing, the savoring, the stretching, but there's also then, as we said before, the adding them in so that we can monitor our ratio. Because if we know that we're going to have a day when there are a lot of kind of heart straining, difficult things, we're going to feel overwhelmed, we're going to feel stressed, we're going to feel maybe angry or frustrated or sad, then how can we add some of these things in to even it out? And so what I like to recommend is that people develop a bit of a toolkit. So in families, sometimes we say create a joy jar. So, you know, we've got a a jar here and it's got little notes in it, little notes that you put in there and that each member of the family writes down things that bring them joy. So kids have great ideas. They'll say, oh, I want to have macaroni cheese in the bath or I want to blow (laughs) bubbles out in the, you know, things or I want to um, have a teddy bear's picnic with pink cupcakes or do you know what I mean? They just think of it, you know, let's play Twister or let's dance around in our pyjamas or whatever it might be. They have the coolest Mm. kind of ideas. Joy comes easily. (laughs) So much less inhibited than us as adults. And so we all add things into the jar and then when we feel that kind of funk coming out down or at certain times in the day when we know it's the, you know, witching out, we take one out and we do it. And if we don't do a joy jar, then we just write them down on a little kind of positivity toolkit list that you stick on the fridge and that you're just mindful of injecting these jolts of joy or these decompression moments into our day. And so that is what I'm going to set as the quest for this week, in case you weren't catching my my vibe (laughs) Where where you were going with that. (laughs) Just I'm starting to introduce that in because, you know, and I do this with coaching clients oftentimes as well, that what we pay attention to matters. And all of these things really do affect our, our whole experience of life. That might sound a bit sort of grandiose, but... But they do. And if we are navigating difficult times, rather than focus on how we're going to fix that or move around it or whatever, we can actually do better by pulling back and adding in more of the good stuff so that that thing loses its power and fades away. Does Mm. that make sense? 
Yeah, it does. And I was just reflecting on that notion of that consciousness around it, you know, finding that balance and being proactive. Yes. That's the first step yeah. in this, isn't it? The mindfulness and the and the proactivity, but also the self-compassion. So if you say that you're going to do three things every day then and you only do one, that's okay. That's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's bal- okay. Balancing all of those things. But it's the paying attention to noticing how it feels. I know for me that's probably the, the biggest thing, the thing that makes the biggest difference is actually just absorbing it in the moment yes. and then feeling how that feels yeah. now. Maybe that takes time to get used to that noticing and feeling thing, which is something that I've worked on for a long time, particularly through yoga. But Mm. again, it's finding what works for you. So whether it is actually easier to just say, right, I'm going to do three things and have some consciousness around that, Mm -hmm. you know, that might be a strategy for some people, whether it's something like some of the tools that you've suggested there on the, on the list, you'll have a tip and little activity sheet I will. on the website mm-hmm. that people can refer to as a strategy or whether it's just mindfulness in the moment and the savouring of that mm-hmm. positive emotion when it comes yes. doesn't really matter. It doesn't um, matter. It's the principle of the thing, isn't it? it Starting is. from those first principles of I understand why this is important mm-hmm. and I'm going to do my best to find a way to implement that in my own life. Yes, and I I guess it depends, you know, what's happening in your life as Mm. to for some people they might be struggling to find things that feel positive in their days. So it does depend where you're at. Um, And I think that you're absolutely right, Alan, that these these are little micro moments. We do need to take it, pay attention to them and say, because this is not a fake it till you make it kind of thing, you know. Mm. In order to have the neurological benefits that I described earlier, it needs to be a heartfelt sense of this. You know, this is not the sort of slap a smile on your dial and, you know, pretend to be positive, that kind of toxic positivity. Doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah you know, that when you're trying too hard, this is really knowing ourselves well enough to go. Like for me, if I see my um, little nephews or my my little godsons or whatever and I, and I say yes to babysitting them while their mum's going out on a date or, or whatever or just hanging out with them and just the, the joy that you get in those moments. So whether they're big moments or small moments, but taking a moment to to notice them and and then reminiscing as well even over that, like watching the photo, the little videos mm. or photos or things. Mm. And so, you know, I guess that's what we're suggesting that our listeners do is to know that this is a tool and a strategy and that wherever you're at, whether it's just noticing them as they come because you know that in any day, hopefully there are things that you can feel gratitude for so oftentimes if we think about the things that usually work for people there would be you know being able to feel or express gratitude kindness being out in nature being mindful thinking about our future thinking about lovely plans that we've got or reminiscing about things that we've done before I think you mentioned nature um doing exercise Connection with others. I think Connection is with others. Too, Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, very important. I was casting through what I do and what helps me, and I think often it is sometimes just having those moments with your kids or with your partner or even with your pet where yes. you're just connected to another creature yes. in some way. Yes, absolutely, because we talked about that in belonging, how important that is. So, you know, those little things or your little, you know, listening to music, uh, moving mm. is very good for us funny cat videos. Inspiration, I think, is an underrated 
positive emotion. Yes. Feeling inspired, watching TED Talks if that's your yes. jam. Or art or music yes. or maths yeah. or so, you know, like what does what inspire architecture? You know, what yeah. inspires you? What the question is what lifts you? You know, mm. what are the things that provide a lift for you? for me or maybe what are the things that you know lower your mood for you not lower your mood lower your stress levels in the deep mm. depression mm. because that might be a quieter positive emotion of say of becoming serene so that's the quest we're setting is that with your family or in your workplace you could make a combined list or a jar that you put things in by asking people what is it that lifts you or us because it's a great thing to do together and, you know, we, we just know that mood is affected at times, you know, because we get, you know, bad news about something or it's a dreary day or we've worked really hard. And so how can we pull out one of those things and let it lift us? Or if you don't want the jar option, that you write it down. And this is, again, about getting intentional on that list. So, you know, you would have spending time with with a dog, walking in nature, you know, seeing the little kids in my life, spending time with my children, going for a walk on the beach with my husband, um, enjoying a really nice, you know, coffee um, and really savouring that. You know, although those kind of things that would go on the list, they don't have to be costly in terms of time or money, but they're things that give us that little felt experience of like, yes, that was really nice or it was really soothing to my stress. So that is our challenge this week. That is the quest. We're going to get intentional. We're getting intentional about finding more opportunities to experience and savour positive emotions in their very many forms. We are. We'll have lots of tips and strategies in the show notes for this episode so that will link through to Marie's website, which is mm-hmm. someone.com where she has lots of activities and ideas. Uh, we'll put the other resources that we've mentioned to today's episode in the show notes as well. And next week, what are we talking about next week, Marie? Well, next week we're on to nurture. And so nurture is where we're looking at the evidence-based ways for eating, moving, sleeping, and mindfulness. So this is our kind of physical health and the way that that um, has an interplay with our mental health. And we are going to choose one of those to focus in on. The one that I've chosen is kind of the, um, what I would consider to be maybe the poor relation of the four of those. And I'm going to leave that as a surprise Ooh, for our listeners okay. to see. Do you think what do you think? <laughs> and for me, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What will it be? What would you choose out of the eating, moving, sleeping, and mindfulness? Which one do you reckon gets the least press? Oh, they're all so important. Oh. Um, and I don't know if it's the least, but the one that I find you know, sleep is the one for me. Yes, sleep is, thank you. Is, I got it oh, right. Oh, look, so it's Yay. not a surprise anymore. We've got to it. Okay, so sleep, yes, it has always been underrated. I don't mm. think we speak nearly enough about it given the impact that it can have. So I'm looking forward to that conversation, Marie. Good. And in the meantime, you and I will work on our positive emotions. All our listeners will also work on their finding opportunity and some intention around creating positive emotion in their day and we will look forward to a wonderful conversation about sleep next week we will and so yes so jolts of joy or moments of decompression i'm looking forward to hearing how you get on with that and yes next week we will look at the perhaps underrated power and prioritization of sleep for our well-being so have a great week alan i'm looking forward to seeing you back again next week we'll see you soon listening to this episode of the Potential Psychology Podcast and our revisit of the How to Thrive series co-hosted with Marie McLeod. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please do let us know. You can rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts, I believe also in Spotify now, and maybe let us know on our social media channels or directly via the Potential Psychology website, potential.com.au. And if you're interested in applying a more positive approach to your life, Marie offers individual and corporate coaching packages and her e-learning beacon program via the website needtoseesomeone.com. And you can find out more about How to Thrive the Film at howtothrivefilm.com. Now, if you haven't heard, you can also now become a special VIP member of the Potential Psychology Podcast community with access to bonus episodes, the first of which is now ready and waiting for you. Dr. Mike Rucker, co-host of our most recent podcast series on fun and well-being, are discussing the importance of making time for fun and positive experiences in our workplaces with tips in this bonus episode on better email and meeting management and the kind of physical workplace that we need to really thrive. To join as a subscriber at the tiny little cost of $5.99 a month, that is in Australian dollars, head to our website, potential.com.au or to anchor.fm forward slash potential psychology forward slash subscribe. I'm looking forward to seeing you there in our little inner sanctum. In the meantime, enjoy our revisit of how to thrive for Mental Health Month and take small steps to fulfil your potential. Potential.